You are listening to a Laison Lumineur podcast. Hello, this is Sandra Hindman, founder and president of Laison Lumineur. We specialize in manuscripts, miniatures, historic jewelry, and other small-scale works of art from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. This occasional series records our lectures and gallery talks, insights from new publications, and interviews with collectors and scholars. Our aim is to offer an ever-wider public tools for learning about the diversity of our activities and the breadth of our interests. Welcome, and please enjoy today's podcast. Hello, I'm Sandra Hindman here in Chicago with Ines Villela Petit in Paris. Hello, Ines. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Sandra. Thank you for calling me, inviting to speak. I'm so glad you could join us. I was inspired to ask you to do this podcast by your new book called The Atelier de Christine de Pizan. I'll do it both in French and English. And the two lectures, which were part of the book, although not exactly the same thing, we will tell our listeners how to get to them on YouTube as well. So I want to discuss with you today your book, L'Atelier de Christine de Pizan, which I just loved. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. And um, I, I thought maybe, though, we could begin, and I can do this part by saying who Christine de Pizan is, because you and I know, I worked on her some 40 years ago and have never stopped thinking about her. And she's been a subject of your research for the last 15 years, at least, maybe longer. But Christine de Pizan is a French, actually Italian-born writer um, who lives in the late 14th century. She was married to a secretary of the king, and so she grew up at the court of the king of France. Her father was an astrologer, meaning really a doctor. When her husband died, she began to write poetry and then literature. She's best known for these works that she wrote through her entire career. And she died in about 1422, if I'm not mistaken, having um, retired to a nunnery. So um, she's really quite well known as a woman poetess, author in France, at the court of France in the high Gothic period. Right? Is that an accurate enough uh, description, Ines, for you? Yes, yes, perfect. So I want to take... famous for a few important works for the feminine question also, the city of ladies among... Yes, she has, we should say, she has been taken up um, by feminists, including even uh, figuring in Judy Chicago's dinner party one of those iconic feminist works of art. Well, let's start with your book. First of all, I mean, congratulations on the book. It's just fabulous. So I'm very impressed and I'm very excited about having this conversation with you. I should say we've introduced Christine, but we haven't introduced Enos. So Enos is a curator 
a scholar of considerable accomplishments, uh, many books and articles on the Duke of Berry, on Christine de Pizan. She participated in the big Christine de Pizan project called The Album, and has also worked on metalwork, uh, a very, very accomplished French scholar. So Enos, thank you for joining us. And my first question for you is, how did you choose your title, L'Atelier de Christine de Pizan, or the Atelier of Christine de Pizan? The, the Atelier is quite polysemous, indeed, and it depends on when and where, depending on whether we are talking about, say, Michelangelo's studio with its many workers, or the little top of the 15th century illuminators, the tradesman, his wife maybe, and an apprentice, for example. So this does not cover the same reality. But I took it quite broadly, since uh, this the term uh, actually allows to include both the, the office where Christine wrote, and she called them her etude, or cell, which means a kind of monastic cell, even right. if she was not a nun. And also it can include the workshops of practitioners of the book trade, parchmenters, illuminators, bookbinders, who had their own workshops. But as they were in the service of Christine, it's a kind of uh, broad <laughs> Term to consider the materiality, maybe, of the, the book production? Yeah, I think we'll come back to this idea of atelier. You just mentioned the étude, or Christine in her atelier. I guess you could have called it the étude of Christine de Pizan, but then it would have been just yeah. about her. Yeah, but it wasn't ambiguous in French because the, the modern sense is quite far away. Yes. Um, and we think of studies on <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so actually, it still means, uh, even if it has many meanings according to the context, but it still means something practical, a place where the painters paint or the writers can write, or where you do something. <laughs> right, yeah, where the book comes to life, basically. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I want to turn to your organization of the book, because as you've just described your choice of atelier, the organization of your book follows the making of a manuscript, which I thought was very clever and actually worked extremely well. You might discuss how you see this just briefly, because the idea, one of the reasons why Atelier is so contested is it conjures up the idea of everyone working together in one room. And I think, well, let's start with where you start. I mean, you start with Christine in her Atelier. So that's a yes. physical space in itself, and actually one of your most compelling chapters. Do you want to discuss that chapter a little? 
Yes, we have an insight on her own direct production. Uh, the moment she starts to write, uh, there's a draft on parchment. I took it for the whole book trade in Paris because she could ask for different kinds of specialties to make the book and she couldn't do the wool of it herself. What I, I was first interested in was uh, to take some uh, conclusions of the study we had done in the album and to bring all these elements together and reconstitute a kind of ideal book because we had many pieces of information and clues from different manuscripts because we have among more than 50 original manuscripts from her, which is quite exceptional. And with elements taken from all these books, we can have a kind of, well, reconstitute the process of Christian book uh, from the draft to the binded book. And also with new elements, for example, the binding, uh, we have three original bindings and not if there was a confusion of the date and, uh, well, the binding in this period are not well known, but with these elements we can reconstitute what could be an ideal book. And I thought at the beginning of an ancient story of this Greek painter Xerxes, you know, when he wanted to paint an ideal portrait of a woman, and he took details from several beautiful women he had as model to make this ideal one. You mean the, pi <laughs> the picture? The idea. You mean the picture of Christine? No, I, no? Mean, I mean the, the idea of a book with all the elements taken from all her books and we can uh, know how she was writing, uh, what were the materials with I see, right. And then all the process, but we have these uh, clues, but not all in one. Yes, uh, right. You know, so taking from all these uh, manuscripts where we had found in, you know, in them, we can reconstitute all the process for one book. Right. I should say to our uh, listeners that we've referred several times to the album. So this is a triple-authored, large book by Christine Reno, Gilbert Wee, and Enos, and organized based on the 54, do I have the number right, Enos? 54 yes. Christinian manuscripts. So instead of being an ideal book, like Enos's organization of the Atelier of Christine de Pizan, this is a kind of very detailed catalog of each of these 54 manuscripts, talking about the scribe, the illuminators, the binders of each one. Yes, it's an analytical, and maybe what I've done in the atelier is more synthetic. But the album is the result of a huge project uh, started oh, many years ago by Gilbert Wee and Christine Reno from Bazaar College, and joined them for the study of the miniatures and decorations. And, uh, well, it's a book of 800 pages. Right. So um, <laughs> and it was the lesson from the study of these original manuscripts, many written by Christine, studying the writing, the layout, the owners, also the chronology of the copies of her text, 
I tried to replace the production of Christine's manuscript in the material and social context of the time. For example, which pigments and inks were used, where to buy them, where the bookbinders, where the illuminators she could contact, and so on. And also the atelier book is based on quotes from her text, which shed light on all this process, on the, the making of her books. Yes, let's start with, I think actually a very compelling chapter is this first one called The Atelier. And you take a quote from Christine, on une estude petite, in a small study or in a small room. But Christine is first and foremost an author and, as we'll see, a writer. Do you want to talk very briefly about these many, many pictures of her in her little study? Should we see these as portraits, do you think, or imagined portraits? Imagine portraits, because uh, if you compare them, Christine is very different from one to the other, and according to the illuminator in charge, she has not the same face and uh, quite different. But it's an ideal image of herself, and the one she wanted to give the workshop or atelier is she's represented in it and it's self-referential motive for her probably the privileged way of staging herself both in her text because she begins some of her texts with a presentation of herself studying in her study in the Cité de Dame, for example. She's uh, taking a book and opening it and uh, at her table and well, but also in the image and the miniature illustrating this scene of the writing scene is usually at the beginning of her text, her illustrated text. And uh, thus she managed to impose her authority as a woman of letters and a scholar. Because, of uh, course, these author portraits are taken from male author portraits. I mean, we have St. Jerome as yeah, a model yeah. for, so it's Christine, not St. Jerome. So, yes, it's, it's a figure of her authorial importance or power or presence, maybe, is the best word. Yeah. yeah. She presents herself in the archetype or archetypal portrait or image of the scholar and the novelty of the image is that she's a woman of course and she presents herself in this authorial and authority position. Right. And they're charming. Promotional. <laughs> yeah, and they're charming illustrations of a small little study. They are, they are yes. I guess what people probably don't know, um, I mean, now they will realize that, of course, Christine is an author. What they probably don't know is that the majority of her, of her extant manuscripts, of these 54 manuscripts, are authorial. So either um, she wrote them, and she's called Hand X in the Gilbert-Wee Christine Reno model, or she added rubrics or corrections or something. Collaborating with two other hands, R and P. Is this right, Ines? Yes, and, and that's why we can really 
uh, talk about her atelier because other authors uh, just gave their text to copy, but she managed to uh, control all the process and do it uh, in part herself. We can estimate at least 100 manuscripts came from this uh, private atelier. And we know that she used at least two copies to help besides herself in this ambitious production of her own workshop. One was identified by Olivier Delso with a, a named P. de la Croix, who signed other texts like these, maybe Pierre de la Croix. And the other one, I believe, to be Christine's own son, Jean de Castel. We have evidence that they work uh, together at her own, uh, her own uh, private study, mainly in the manuscript of the Three Virtues, because we, we see that the change of writings from uh, mm. one to the other. Um, but the atelier and her atelier wasn't a, a city of ladies, uh, contrary to what was previously assumed. The real city of ladies, if you want to it in, in the real to be sought after at Queen's Isabella's court, as Laurie Walters pointed out, but not her own production. I worked with Gilles Berwi many years ago. I started working with him in the 70s um, on Christine de Pizan, and at that time I remember that nobody knew who R and P these other two scribes were, and Gilbert used to always say to me, they must have been women, they had to have been women. Christine wouldn't have been able, as a woman of that time period, to work in a room with two men. But I was so struck by the discovery that, of course, one is her son, because that becomes a kind of family atelier in that yes, way. But, yes, and, and it explains many things, because, well, there is a coincidence, and this made me uh, think about it. Uh, there is a coincidence between the, the appearance of this hand, because at the beginning she's alone, and then this hand appears and it coincides with the return of Jean de Castel from England. Right, so there's so documentary. Yes. Yeah, that's great. There's documentary evidence. So, keeping with the idea of, you know, what is this atelier that is the subject of your book, Christine, in her atelier, Jean de Castel and Pierre de la Croix, the two scribes, with her in her atelier, let's move to the um, decorators and illuminators. I mean, it's not really like some mini factory where Christine, her two scribes, and a bunch of decorators and then illuminators sit together. How do you en envision that working, the actual illumination? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, she, she had not the equivalent of a monastic scriptorium. She made the copy, and her son was uh, certainly living with her, but not the other ones implied in the process. And we know quite a lot about uh, illuminators and border decorators in Paris at this time, and we know they had their own um, little workshops. We even know where for some of them, um, in the Ile de la Cité, in the south bank of the Seine River, and also some of them near uh, a church called Saint-Jacques de la Boucherie. Uh, we even have, have some dresses. <laughs> and probably they came to 
take work and well she had someone to bring the book and the, the book in the making or at least part of the folios had to be brought to these shops and that's why probably she sometimes is not completely pleased with the, interpret- the interpretation mm-hmm. of her instructions and she changes and she gives instructions modified uh, to have something more in her mind more appropriate right yes more appropriate there is an evolution between the illustrations of or text from uh, one manuscript to the, the other mm-hmm. and we see her her thoughts in that she wants to uh, show and adding details or on the contrary looking for uh, less of it not to put so many details and to have something more concentrate it's very interesting to see this process uh, but she she had to adapt her instructions because she was not looking at illuminators at work directly. Right, she's not looking over their shoulder as they paint the picture. No, <laughs> independent uh, workers. Yeah. So. Much has been made of Anastasia, and this is something you've worked on separately, although it occurs in this book too. Like, who was Anastasia? Christine talks about Anastasia and the City of Ladies yeah. as one of the best illuminators that she knows, uh, who paints backgrounds. Now, you've talked, uh, you've clarified this matter a little bit about the decorators and Anastasia. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that here? Yes, um, she wrote about uh, this Anastasia as an example of painters of her time, and but she was not a um, painter or um, images, but uh, mainly she was, um, from what Christian says, uh, she was specialized on uh, borders and letters, mm-hmm. um, well, a decorator, but this function was quite important at the time because, uh, it, well, a book can be without miniatures, but a, a book, a finished one, a good book cannot be uh, without these elements of uh, ornament. And they were needed to have an accomplished book, and they were needed also to help the reading of books. And hence, uh, the important elements, titles, uh, mm-hmm. and um, the different parts of the book. So it was very important. I think one of the interesting things about your book, and I take it this is in the album too, is the actual identification of these decorators or ornamentalists that Christine repeatedly worked with, among them, Anastasia. Yes. It's not easy because it's a new subject for research. There are not many studies on uh, this aspect, but it's really it's really interesting and we, we can found them uh, working for other writers. Mainly what we can deduce from what she she said about she said about Anastasia is mainly she worked with men, illuminators and uh, mm-hmm. decorators. And uh, but she asked many of them uh, almost Ten illuminators and ten uh, also uh, border decorators. Mm-hmm. So she had a, a large, large possibility to employ uh, many of them. 
Right. We didn't talk. Uh, we've kind of skipped over parchment and the materials. And I guess it comes up, the idea of Christine as a, her own scribe brings up the question of economy. And you do mention, and I worked on myself, that Christine did not buy the highest quality parchment, and she did not buy pre-ruled parchment. Um, and in copying her own work, she saved money. Uh, yes, and probably the copy uh, was also uh, a, a way to save money, uh, to, to do it herself. But also because she, even if the parchment is not the best quality, but she wanted the book to be really almost perfect, well done, precise, correct in the text. and uh, Right. Yeah, she maintained a very close, I think that comes out from the album and your book, she maintained very close control over her works. Yes. I mean, maybe our listeners don't know this, but you would... Uh, you would um, claim that it's extremely unusual to have this many autograph works by a 14th century author, isn't it? It is. It is. And uh, it's really the success of her atelier because usually for all medieval authors, we have copies from copies and uh, almost no original. For her, we have more than 50, so it's really a success of her, um, what she managed to do with this production. And, of course, also because uh, many of her books were given to uh, dukes or the queen, so important libraries. Yes, maybe, yes. Yes, maybe you could explain that. Like, you know, so here she is. She doesn't have any money. She writes these books partly herself. She outsources some of it. So how are they, did someone order them? Or does she do them on spec? Could you explain something about the process? Yes. Yes, both are, are true. It depends on uh, which text she started to write, uh, and she became known as a, as a poet. She imposed her authority as a good writer. Uh, she was also asked for texts for the education of the Dauphin, or for texts, for example, the Duke of Orleans. Mm-hmm. And so she uh, she did both. To give books to to a prince was also a way of living, um, of having in having back a gift, and usually uh, as a, a princely gift is from a highest commercial value, so she she could live with that. But she she also was on the service a few of them, and probably of the queen too. Was she in the service of the queen? I mean, do we have a document that says that? Or um, does, does she give her this book direct, on spec? Yes, in direct clues, I think Laurie Walters, believe it, and uh, I joined in that, yes, I, I believe. But we have at least, we know uh, she says the queen, the Harley manuscripts for the queen was, was made because Queen Isabella asked for a collected um, mm-hmm. uh, 
collected works. So a book this um, um, extensive and, you know, profusely illuminated, big frontispiece, that's not being made on spec and given to her on January 1st in exchange for an anticipated gift. We have to also have a clue in well, the fact that she thought of herself as a counselor, an advisor. For example, in the Epitre à la Reine, she, she tries to influence or give a advice right. to the Queen. Well, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, mm-hmm. what, yes, it was ordered and probably she had not much time to, mm-hmm. to prepare it. And uh, it was probably ordered in 1413, and she wanted to to have the book ready, probably for one main occasion of uh, giving gifts was uh, New Year's Eve. Right. It's probably the reason why she had to reuse text she already kept, uh, probably as models, mm-hmm. uh, the so-called exemplar, because she had not time to, to rewrite uh, new copies of mm-hmm. all the, the text in the collection. And the reusing of the old text was a kind of time-saving device. Right, right. But what emerges in the end, yes, that we didn't have time really to talk about the collected works idea, although you mentioned that in your book and mentioned the similarity with Guillaume de Machaut. But what emerges with Christine as a model of bookmaking is, I mean, she's not someone like the Lindbergh brothers who, you know, basically live with the Duke of Berry. They're court artists. They're employed by him. She both works independently on commission and she produces yeah. works that she expects to get a gift in of payment course, for yeah. them. No, it's very exactly. interesting. And I must say, your book makes this emerge so vividly. I love these little quotes. I was just looking at the one for um, miniatures. Si soit laissé espace à faire histoire. So Christine has said, you know, here you have to leave the space to make the miniature. And then you end with, I love it that you end not with your own words, but with Christine's words. Um, (laughs) You end um, talking about the very manuscript that we've talked about and that people will see along with the cover of the book on the frontispiece for this podcast. You end with the Queen's manuscript with the frontispiece, the presentation page. And then with Christine's words, take this in goodwill, which I've been pleased to write for you, something more or less like that. In conclusion, I, I wanted to ask you, um, such, a, such an interesting way of organizing a book. You speak and you let Christine speak for in each chapter. It's like your two parts of the voice, your, your joined voices in each chapter. So um, what emerges is, I mean, Christine's a very unusual person. What emerges, though, is a highly personalized book, too. And I wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about what Christine means to you. Is her work more, I mean, more highly personalized than other authors' scribes of the Middle Ages? I think we've already, you've already made that clear to us, but what does she mean to you? We all get attached to what we work on. Uh, 
feels really singular and her texts and her manuscripts, even the, the miniatures, are really singular among our writers. And probably this is because of her position, because she was not remarried widow, lay woman indulging in studying and writing. And she felt the need to justify her choice choice of life or so and she wanted to to grant herself authority this all this led her to, to speak of herself more openly than most of her contemporaries and this personal and autobiographical character of her text uh, makes her close to us probably more than others we have a special insight of, into her feelings and we have also the impression um, uh, through similar concerns and experiences that she she would have understood us. There is a kind of, of a dialogue and I, I started the book with the intention to study her work and it ended up as a kind of dialogue mm-hmm. with her. Right. And that's why also I wanted to quote uh, these texts and to to give also the, the real color of her words and the manner she spoke, really. So that's what's interesting for me. And uh, really, she she was these last year. She has proven to be um, a model of strength of soul in the midst of adversity. I believe she speaks to us um, vividly, even if she, of course, was a Middle Ages author. Yes, uh, I mean, as a yes, as a woman writer, in some ways, um, she was freer, as you said. She didn't model herself exactly on male writers that came before, and she wrote her own autobiography. She's just freer in what she says. I think you've put that very well. And because she's freer, she's somehow more present. Yes, yes. and she was well aware of her qualities, and she was really a a brilliant person in text, but also I think I... uh, managed to show that she was also really creative in images. Right. Um, yes, I think you that one of the contributions is, uh, both in this and the album, showing how involved she was in the imagery, as, as well as the writing. I think, you know, you've let her, uh, the idea of a dialogue with Christine comes out in your book. You've let her speak side by side with yourself in this um, really you know, excellent book. Not everyone of our listeners is going to be able to read French. I hope that the book, which certainly merits it, does get translated to some of the De Lille lectures. I should mention it was one of the conference, Leopold de Lille. Some of the De Lille lectures, like Christopher de Hamel's, have been translated. So, um, Ines... Well, um, it would be wonderful. Yeah, no, I agree, I agree. So, you know, you end with the words, prenez en so thank you very much for... Thank you very much, too, yeah. Thank you so much for participating. I hope everyone is able to read the book or listen to your two excellent lectures, too. And I look forward to what's next. 
Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you very much. Have new ideas. Ooh, okay. <laughs> time we start to study the questions, and um, we have the. Uh, New things to say, probably. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, well, no, no spoilers yes. here. We'll wait until we'll wait <laughs> in <laughs> anticipation. <laughs> so, Ines, thank thank you again for joining us. Thank you very much, Sandra. Yes. Okay, goodbye. It's <laughs> a pleasure. Yes. Bye. Goodbye. This has been a Laison Lumineer podcast. Please check us out on the web at laisonlumineer.com and on our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We continue to update our content on a regular basis. We would like to wish you all a happy and healthy 2021.